Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Faith makes prayer work. In Mark eleven twenty three, anybody familiar with that verse of scripture? I think you are. Jesus taught or revealed the law of faith. And the law of faith says that if you believe in your heart that what you say with your mouth will come to pass, you'll have whatsoever you say. So that's the law of faith that involves the heart and the mouth of a believer. But then the next word in verse 24, the first word there is therefore. Whenever it says therefore, what are you supposed to do? Find out what it's there for. Therefore means it's based on the prior verse. It's based on verse 23. So because of the law of faith... This is what makes prayer work. Therefore, I say unto you what things to every desire when you pray, believe you have received them and you shall have them. So it's faith that makes prayer work. It's not prayer that makes faith work. That therefore connects the two. But notice the prayer of faith is based on the law of faith. So it's faith that makes prayer work. So if we're going to pray Obviously, we need to pray in faith. So, James chapter 1 also enlightens us with regard to this truth. Look at verses 5 through 8. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So notice he says when you're going to ask for whatever you ask for, ask in faith. So in other words, if you pray for something, ask in faith without wavering. There was a fellow who had a construction company and he was wanting, of course, to increase his income. And as a believer, he obviously tried to put some of these truths to practice. And he said every time he tried believing God for more income to build his business, it wasn't working. And he was getting frustrated. Have you ever been there before? Doesn't seem like it's working for me. Doesn't seem like it's working for me. And so finally, he said, I got alone with the Lord. And he said, the Lord spoke to him and said, Look at James 1, 5 through 8. Read those verses for yourself. And so he did. And it said, let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. And the Lord says, you are that man. Don't think you're going to receive anything if you keep on wavering. He said, you may ask, but you're not asking in faith. And you waver every time you ask. Now what I want you to do, and listen to this. Write it down, what you're asking for. And then declare it, confess it constantly, and don't take your eyes off of it. And when you're tempted to say it's not working and that sort of thing, don't do it. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. It may not look like it's working. That doesn't mean anything. We don't have to consult our five physical senses to determine whether or not God's at work. Because they will always lie to us. God is faithful to his promises. 
We must believe in his integrity and the integrity of his word. We must know he doesn't change or alter a word that's gone out of his mouth. His covenant will he not break. And so when we act upon the word of God, he wants us to look at it, declare it to be true, confess it, believe we receive it. And then he said, you'll have it. And so he took, of course, God's advice. Pretty good thing to do, wouldn't you say? And he said, okay, he wrote down, I need $3,000 a month. Wrote it down on a piece of paper, declared it to his, thanked him for it. It wasn't very long, he was making $3,000 a month. Then he upped it and said $4,000 a month. And he kept upping it. He grew in his faith and got to the point where he now has a big company. God has blessed him in a powerful way. But he acted on the word of God. He didn't just pray. He prayed in faith. Faith makes prayer work. It's not the opposite. Prayer doesn't make faith work. People say, well, just pray about it. Just pray about it. You got to pray in faith. You got to believe. Believing prayer is what changes things. Amen. Okay. First Timothy chapter two, we're talking about intercessory prayer tonight because we need to learn how to stand in the gap and make up the hedge whether it's our nation or whatever. But let's read the verses first. I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of things be made for all men. Notice all men. For kings and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet, peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God of our, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants all men saved, and God wants all men coming to the knowledge of the truth. So in other words, are you a saved person? Then you should be a saved and person. Saved and coming to the knowledge of the truth. So if someone says, are you saved? Just say, I'm saved and. And what? And coming to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus said, if you continue my word, you're my disciple indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So we are his disciples. We're coming to the knowledge of the truth. All right. To intercede means to go to God on the behalf of another. It could be on the behalf of a nation. It could be on the behalf of a family member, a friend, someone who's going through a trial, a sickness, a disease, an attack in their body, whatever it might be, whoever it might be. It means that you're standing in the gap and making up the hedge. It means that you have one hand on God and one hand on the person that you're praying for or the nation that you're praying about. So you're there in the middle, standing in the gap and saying, I put one hand here on you, Lord. I put one hand here on whoever it is that you're praying for. In other words, you're making an opportunity for God to work through you to impact the life of another. You realize there are some people that will never get saved unless someone stands in the gap and makes up the heads for that person. That they're blind, they can't see the truth, and God needs to reach them. And he'll endeavor to reach them by his spirit, but he needs people to stand in the gap and make up the hedge so that he can reach them. Look at Exodus chapter 32. We see something here in the life of Moses when the people, of course, sinned against God and God was angry with them and he wanted to judge them harshly. And so to stay the hand of judgment, someone had to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. Look at Exodus chapter 32, beginning at verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, go get thee down. He was up on Mount Sinai for thy people. Notice he said thy people. In other words, 
God is telling Moses, they're your people. Which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt. But he brought out. That Moses brought out. Have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way. Which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf. And they've worshipped it. They've sacrificed thereunto. And said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone. That's God's way of saying, don't bother me anymore. Why, Lord, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. You thought that Moses would be tickled by that, didn't you? And Moses besought the Lord, and here's where his intercession begins, his God, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against your people? They're not my people. They're your people. Which you brought out or brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Notice this. Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against your people. Would you call that a bold act of intercession? Telling God to turn, to repent? Then he goes, look on, he, he, he really now uses the covenant. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob, thy servants to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord said, get out of my face. Don't bother me. What did the Lord do? What did he do? He repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. You talk about the power of intercession, intercessory prayer. Think about that. Now God had every right to do what he wanted to do because they broke the covenant. But because Moses understood the covenant was made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not just that group of people right there. He appealed to the covenant, and on the basis of the covenant, he interceded. He stood in the gap and made up the hedge for the people. And what happened? God turned from his fierce wrath. God repented of the evil that he was going to do. Beside all that, I had some insight about Moses. He didn't want to have any more children, which is why he didn't want to have another nation, see. He said, please, I've had enough kids. That's all there is to it. All right, here we have a true example of standing in a gap, making up the hedge or intercession that Moses made. And because of it, judgment was stayed. Look at this one in Ezekiel chapter 22, another example. But on, in this example, no one was found to do it. So let's read it. And I sought for a man among them. God was looking for someone among the people that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured, let's back that up. 
Notice the word therefore. What's it there for? Because of what I just said. What did he just say? I'm looking for someone. Frantically looking for someone to stand in the gap and make up the head so that I wouldn't destroy the people. But I found them. Therefore, because there was no one to do it, have I poured out my indignation or wrath and judgment upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. Now the question is, why couldn't he find someone? Could it be that maybe they didn't have faith in intercessory prayer? They didn't know that they could go to God like Moses did. And someone could stand in that gap and someone could make up that hedge and say, okay, I understand that what I'm looking at right now is a horrible situation, but God's bigger than that situation. Once again, if you have a loved one that's maybe attacked with sickness or disease, or if you have someone that's going through a trial or a tribulation, or if a nation that we have like right now that we're going through as a nation, God's people are to come together, stand in the gap, make up the hedge. You can do it for a family member. You can do it for a friend. You can do it for a business. You can do it for a nation. You can do it for whoever, whomever, whatever. But God wants us to take our place. God wants us to do our part. God wants us to have faith in intercessory prayer and apply the law of faith to it. Because when you stand in the gap, make up the hedge, you've got to do so by faith. And that's why Moses used the covenant. That's where faith comes from. He knew what God said he was going to do for them. So, prayer, I mean, faith for anything comes by hearing what the Word of God says. So that's absolutely essential. Look in the book of Genesis chapter 18. Now we have another situation where Abraham now stands in the gap and makes up the hedge for Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's an important truth here. In Genesis 18, beginning at verse 17, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And here it is. Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Can you imagine talking to God that way? Maybe talking to a friend that way, but he's talking to God. You going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be 50 righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? That's pretty bold, wouldn't you say? Talking to God that way? And the Lord said, well, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. You think he maybe knew there weren't? Hmm. And Abraham answered 
and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? Another verse 45. And he said, If I find there only forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him again and said, This is an intercessory prayer. Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. Hmm. And he said unto him, O Lord, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty. And he said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure, he's easing his way down, isn't he? Be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this one more time. Peradventure, ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way. As soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. Now, some people said that Abraham stopped short. He should have said five or maybe even one. I mean, I don't know. It's possible. But obviously, we see an example of intercessory prayer because when there's intercessory prayer, it's not a monologue, it's a dialogue. We have our thoughts and God has his thoughts. We present our case and he presents his case. And as Moses did, he convinced him that, look, you don't really want to do this because you have a covenant to keep with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he didn't do it. But here we see that Abraham didn't get the same results that Moses did. And as a result of their sin, we know judgment fell upon the land. Look in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 25 and 26. I, even I, am he that blots out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and I will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance. Now notice, let us plead together. Together. It's not a monologue, it's a dialogue. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. So in other words, intercessory prayer involves us speaking to God, taking our place, one hand on him, one hand on the situation, and then having this dialogue with him, telling him what he said, what he promised, what he basically said he would do about the covenant, and then presenting it to him and just say, here's my case. But you know, he has a case too. I was... Um, I wasn't even in ministry at the time. I was just a believer teaching a Bible study. I believe it was. I don't think I was in a church yet. But anyhow, I got a call, a frantic call from a friend of mine that I worked in the mill with who just had a baby. Um, I think the baby was like six months old or something like that. And he said, please rush to the hospital. I think my son is dying. And so I, fast as I could, Got in my car, went up to the hospital. And when I got there, I went into the room that, where the baby was in an incubator. And they wanted me to lay hands on the child. And what I did was, I said, you know, we, I got to go down and pray. So I went to the chapel, got on my knees in the chapel. And this is what I'm talking about here. I just began to stand in the gap and make up the hedge and pray for this child. Because you see, I know the will of God. It's life and not death, right? So I'm on my knees. I'm beginning to pray what I know to pray in English. And then I begin to pray with other tongues. 
And as I said, it's a dialogue, not a monologue. I rebuke death in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you this child will not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. And I thank you that your hand is upon this family as well to bring comfort and peace to their hearts and their minds. And I start praying in the Holy Ghost and all of a sudden I hear the authoritative voice of the Spirit inside my spirit saying, pretty authoritative. The child is gone and is here with me and will not return because he's being loved like he's never been loved before. See, it's a dialogue, not a monologue. Now that kind of runs cross grain with the way I think as far as I know that God's for life and not for death. But you know, how many of you know the secret things belong to God? He knows more than what we know about every situation. And even though that may be his will that child live, when he told me those words, I had a hard time with it. Because I was just newly saved and walking in faith and learning how to live and walk by faith. I heard those words. Now, do you think I was going to go up there and tell that family what I heard? I didn't have the guts to do so. I just knew, get up, stop praying. Because the child's with me and will not come back. And the key was, and he's being loved like he's never been loved before. This child's only six months old. Well, you see, there's something that I didn't realize. They called in a coroner, checked out the child, couldn't prove abuse. But then I remember that one time as we were visiting, my daughter saw the father banging the child's head on the ground, on the hardwood floor when, the, when he was changing the diaper. And she said, Daddy, I know what I saw. And what was said was, well, the baby was sitting in a car seat in the car in the front seat. And that was when you didn't have the seat, all, all the stuff we have today. Oh, I put on the brake and the baby was kind of flew off and hit his head against the dashboard or whatever. Corner couldn't prove anything. But wow. So we don't know everything. We stand in the gap. We make up the hedge. We have a dialogue with God. And we just say, this is what you said. But he'll say something back to you like... That may be his will that everybody lives, but this child's not coming back in that environment because this child has never been loved like it is before and he's not coming back. That's the opposite of Andrew saying, he's gonna, you go back and you talk to people about me. Big difference. So it's important we realize that we're pleading together with the Lord. It's a, it's, it's a dialogue. We're pleading. We're pleading our case. He's pleading his case. And he says, I know better than you. Would you agree he knows better than we do? Absolutely. I'll tell you what, that's, that's with me for... All my life because it was one of those experiences in God that I'll never, ever, ever forget. My heart sunk when I heard those words as I was in that chapel on my knees. And I was just, wow, wow. And then I, I had to do the funeral of the child. All right, some considerations. Prayer is joining forces together with God to accomplish his purposes on the earth. What did Jesus say? How to pray Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Father, this is your will. It is your will for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It is your will for all men to be healed by the stripes of Jesus. It's your will for all men to be baptized with Holy Ghost fire. We know what your will is, and we're here to enforce your will as being done on the earth, but it's not being done in that person's life. So we can ignore it, walk away from it, or we can say, I'm going to stand in the gap and make up the hedge for that person. That person needs to come to Jesus. If we just let it go and forget about it and don't let that burden on our heart pray for his soul or her soul, you know what? We could just let it go and they could be lost forever. But we can also say, okay, Lord, I want to join forces together with you, one hand on you, one hand on him or her, whoever the person might be, and just say, use me 
as I'm on my face and keep them before you, I'm believing that you are sending labors of love across their path to open up their hearts, their minds, their eyes to see the truth because he has to have the truth communicated to the people so that they can see it and understand it and receive it. And in some cases, there are some people that will never get saved unless someone does their part to take, stand in the gap and take up the hedge for them. It's a very serious ministry, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And then, access to God is the basis for our intercession. Access to God. There's never been a time or a season when God's people have had greater access to the presence of God. Look in Hebrews chapter 10. Under the old covenant, it was limited access to the high priest alone. Once a year could you go to the throne, the mercy seat. That was it. And you better go there with the right sacrifice, the blood of a sacrificial animal. And you cannot be defiled in any way when you go in there. Here in Hebrews chapter 10, having therefore, now that means, what did he just say? He said before this in the prior verse, he said, your sins are remitted. There's no more sacrifice for sins. Your sins are gone. There's nothing to keep you out from the throne of God. Therefore, brethren, have boldness to enter to the holiest. What an invitation. How? By the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way which he has consecrated for us that is, through a veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in the pure water of the word. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. We are coming to your throne, Father, in the name of Jesus and by the blood that was shed for our redemption. And that blood has paved a way for us to enter into the holiest place of all. And I'm not here just for myself. I'm here for my brother. I'm here for my sister. I'm here for my parents. I'm here for a neighbor. I'm here for a nation. I am here for whoever it might be. And I want to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. I know that without your divine intervention, there will not be any results. And so I'm looking to you. I can't change the situation, but oh Lord, you can. You can. I will never forget the testimony of a Norval Hayes and his daughter Zona. What a situation. Here he is, a Bible teacher, traveling around the world, proclaiming the gospel. And all of a sudden, his daughter just decides that she's going to go off the deep end and start drinking and smoking and doing drugs and, and immorality and all that. She just took off down the wrong path. He was so upset with her, he would scream at her, he would holler at her and tell her, what are you doing, you're going to ru ruin my ministry, etc., etc., etc. And finally he got to the point, to the place where he finally just said, look, Lord, what's going on? How about this? The Lord says to him, why don't you practice what you preach? He said, Lord, that's a low blow. What are you talking about? Practice what you preach. Listen to the way you're talking to her. Listen to what you're saying over and over again. I don't have access to her as long as you're talking like that. And so he started to listen to what he was saying and really recognize what he was doing. She would come home in a drunken stupor and whatever, and he'd holler at her and say, what are you doing, etc., etc. Finally, she would come home that way, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. He'd say, Zona, I love you. 
get on his knees in that room. Her bedroom's right across from his room. And she's in the bedroom over there. He's on his knees. He's saying, I see you saved. I see you in Bible school. I see you teaching the word of God. I see you delivered. I see you set free. Zona, I love you. Honey, I love you. I love you. And kept on and kept on and kept on. They would sit down to have grace at the dinner table. Same thing. Thank you for Zona. Thank you for her life. She's loving you, serving you, walking with you, honoring you, obeying you. And she's just sitting there with her look on her face like, stop it. He'd keep, keep on doing it and keep on doing it and keep on doing it. One day she came home 3 o'clock in the morning. She's zoned out, drugged up, alcoholed up, everything you can imagine. She lies in her bed. He's over there saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I thank you for her life. I see her delivered. I see her set free. I see her made whole. He's standing in the gap. He's making up the hedge. He's going to God on behalf of his daughter. And all of a sudden, her angel appears to her at the end of her, at the foot of her bed. Looks at, look, just looks, makes eye contact with her. Guess what? She changed. When she saw that. See, there's things that God can do that we can't do. But it takes a discipline to stay there. To hang in there. And not give up. But to persevere. And stand there and say, I'm not quitting. I'm not fainting. I'm not wavering. I'm not losing heart. I believe. And that's what he had to do. And it made a big difference. Can you imagine if he didn't do that and she continued down that path? Well, you know what? Many have and they've died of overdoses. So you see, it's important that we as believers learn the art of intercessory prayer. Stand in the gap, make up the hedge for people that are out there that are in need, especially our loved ones. Now, look in uh, Daniel chapter 10 because we're going to face opposition along the way. And here's why. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled, 21 days. That's where we get our Daniel 21-day fast. And then go on down to chapter uh, 10, verse 12. Then said he, the angel came to him and said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard the first day, and I'm come for your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days. For yet the vision is for many days. So we see the curtain removed from the spiritual world and the natural world. And what do we see back there? We see there's a spiritual warfare that's going on. And whenever we take our place to do our part, to intercede and to pray, with one hand on God, one hand on the people of the nation, there's going to be interference. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be forces of darkness try to get us off course so that we stop using our faith to believe for someone else. See, you can't receive for someone else, but you can believe that you can make a highway for God to move in you and through you to reach that person in a powerful and glorious way, just like he did with his daughter. So there's going to be obviously opposition. 2 Corinthians 10, notice this. We must understand and use our weapons, of our mighty weapons that God's given us, our spiritual ones. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly or natural, but mighty through God that the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. When you stand in the gap and make up the hedge for somebody, I'll tell you what, you've got a thousand thoughts shooting through your mind 
What are you doing? Why are you doing that? You're wasting your time. You could be doing this. You could be doing that. Because you see, the enemy knows you're effective. You are lifting somebody up who might be given a death sentence because of a sickness or a disease or whatever. And it's easy to faint, give up, lose heart. But no, you want to keep that one hand on that person, one hand on God, and just say, I am not moving. I'm writing it down. I see him or her delivered, set free, made whole by the stripes of Jesus, and I will not stop. I know that God is going to manifest himself because I'm giving this opportunity to do so. Remember, he looked for someone to stand in the gap make up the hedge. He couldn't find anybody, so judgment had to fall. But you see, when he finds someone, he says, I can use you. I can do that through you. And we'll get the job done together. We're co-laborers together with him. Amen? Look at Matthew 16 and verse 19. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth, thou shalt be bound in heaven. Whatever thou shalt loose on earth, shall be loose in heaven. In other words, what we allow will be allowed. What we refuse to allow will be refused to be allowed. He's saying, understand your authority. We've got the keys to the operation of the kingdom of Almighty God. And we can use our authority on earth to bind the actions and activities of the kingdom of darkness and to loose or release, praise God, the power of God, the anointing of God, the glory of God, the ministry of, of saints as well in the earth. You know, you can bind to someone the things of God. I'm binding to you, praise God, labors of love that will everywhere you go, they're going to be in your face. You know, I've done that to people and they're just like, everywhere, everywhere I go, people are in my face. I did that one time to somebody and they got saved. I released labors of love across the path of their lives. And you know what? This was at a Bible study one week. This was way back in the 80s or 70s. And I was at the Bible study, teaching the Bible study. And I said, someone says, I need to have someone saved. And I said, okay, let's do it. We agreed. We released labors of love. Came back the following week and they said, someone walked in off the street into his room. He was in a hospital room and walked into his room and said, I don't know why I'm here, but I'm here to tell you about Jesus. And he got saved. A labor of love went there because someone stood in the gap and made up the hedge. Not just because it was me. We all did it together. You understand that. It's not, it's not us. It's God. But we're making a highway for God. That's what we're doing. And then also look at Luke 18 and we'll... Two more scriptures here. 18, look at verse 1. He spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Cave in, give up, lose heart. Saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming she weary, weary me. And the Lord said, hear what that unjust judge said? And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find what? What? See, it's faith that makes it work. Faith on earth. See, so put that in context. We don't give up. We persevere in faith and we stand in that gap and make up the hedge in faith. So whatever it is that we're believing God for or whoever we're believing God for, we stay in this arena of faith because that's where the enemy is defeated. If he can get us into the emotional realm, the mental realm will be defeated. But if we can get him to stay in the faith realm, he's done. And let's close with this verse, 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14. 
If my people, are we his people? Which are called by my name, are we called by his name? Christians. Shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then... In other words, if we do our part, he will do his part. Well, I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Notice, this is talking about the same thing. It's up to us to stop talking about politics. Stop talking about your position. What's going on in the world. I don't know about you, but it's make your head spin anymore what we see with all these debates and everything that's going on. Why don't we appeal to heaven. And say God you know all these politicians. And you know what they're all about. And you know how they are and how they act and what they do. We are believing that your fire will fall from your house. To the white house. And refine every one of them. Because they all need it. Don't they need it? Right. Refine them with your refiner's fire. We want your will, your ways here in our nation, in our land. Your word, your will, your ways to be enforced in the earth. So we are God's people. We are called by his name. We can humble ourselves. We can pray. We can turn from things that dishonor and displease him. So we do our part. So what does he do? He hears from heaven. Do you hear those people down there? Everybody else is talking about all this trash. But you know what? They're down there talking about. It's not about, let's say, gender. It's not about race. It's not about political preference or party preference. It's about wanting the hand of God to be upon a nation that will honor him and get back to its roots. Can you say amen? amen. So we're standing in the gap. We're making up the hedge, Father. Look here upon us. We're going to plead our case before you. Move like you've never moved before in this nation. We stand for it. We believe in it. Put people in office that need to be there. Take them out. That Remove them that don't need to be there. May you be glorified. Let's all gather around this altar before we dismiss. And let's do that.